Hi, and welcome to Make Me a Medic. We are a group of high school students from the UK who are desperate to be doctors. Join us on our journey to medicine. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss last week's ethical question. Why is it important for medical professionals to not make assumptions about patients? Um, And then we're also going to talk about AIDS, including the AIDS pandemic, symptoms and management, and the stigma surrounding it. And this is going to be a two-part episode, so the next part's going to come out next week, so stay tuned for that. Firstly, let's talk about what assumptions are. We're all going to have assumptions, that is how the human brain works, but it basically puts people into categories, and then we have the tendency to generalise on the basis of those categories. And that's sort of where some of the risks of stereotyping come from. And as a result of that, everyone will have a tendency to make assumptions in different situations, and sometimes they'll serve you quite well, But the problem is that they are also limited and sometimes they lead you down the wrong path. So one of the really powerful things about reflection as a learning tool is that it can help you get underneath and surface those and see your own assumptions. So understanding equality and diversity is vital to deliver patient-centred, safe and effective care because it's really all about the people. It's about responding to the particular circumstances of the individual person that you're working with and understanding how wider, wider social circumstances affect that encounter. So another thing is that equality and diversity is really relevant for all aspects of the service that has to do with people. It relates to how people experience the service, how they interact with the people within it and what their eventual outcomes are going to be. And this is all linked to the duty of a doctor or any other healthcare professional and with the medical pillar of beneficence to do good. It's important to note that stigma and discrimination in health take many forms, like the denial of healthcare and unjust barriers to service provisions, inferior quality of care and also a lack of respect. Abuse and other forms of mistreatment, the violation of physical autonomy, mandatory testing or treatment and compulsory detention are other forms of stigma and discrimination that are encountered by the most marginalised and most affected, including people living with or that have been affected by HIV. Discrimination in the workplace and lack of empowering and protective workplaces also hampered in the health workforce in efforts to provide a right-based quality care. It's also important to communicate with patients, to understand the kind of wider social, cultural and personal factors which influence their lives, because all of that is context that people are going to bring into this clinical encounter and into the health service and into the care system. This is why a medical professional should ensure that everyone gets care, which takes account of their individual needs and treats everyone with dignity and respect at all times. So, linking to the stigma around patients, today we're going to be discussing HIV and AIDS. It is widely believed that HIV originated in Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of Congo around 1920, when HIV crossed species from chimpanzees to humans. Up until the 1980s, we don't know how many people were infected with HIV or developed AIDS. HIV was unknown and transmission was not accompanied by notable signs or symptoms. While sporadic cases of AIDS were documented prior to 1970, available data suggests that the current epidemic started in the mid to late 1970s. As we know, the incubation period before HIV begins showing any symptoms 
is roughly a decade. So by 1980, HIV may already have spread to five continents, North America, South America, Europe, Africa, and Australia. And in this period, between 100,000 and 300,000 people could have already been infected. So we're going to now talk a bit more about the interspecies transmission in further detail. So there are two main groups of HIV. These are HIV-1 and HIV-2. Both of them have like further strains, subgroupings, and some are more prevalent in different areas than others. Um, both of them are related to different strains of a disease called SIV, which is found in primates. So HIV-1 is believed to have spread because a group of chimps um, were hunting like several different types of monkeys, and the monkeys were believed to have been infected with different strains of HIV, which when the chimp consumed multiple monkeys with different strains of HIV, mutated and combined and formed a different strain of HIV, um, SIV, sorry. Um, so this is then spread around the monkeys, um, and when humans then hunted and consumed the chimp, um, they then, sometimes this SIV virus mutated in the human and became HIV-1. Uh, so HIV-2 is believed to have originated in a very similar way, but through the eating of sooty mangamy monkeys rather than chimps, which is why it's different. Um, this virus is less contagious and is far rarer and is only mainly found in West Africa. Um, so how did HIV-1 spread from Kishana in the DCR? Well, at the time, there was a booming sex trade in the DCR, and it is believed that's how it was kind of spread through the infrastructure around, first of all, the continent, and then internationally through people returning and coming and going there. Um, obviously, we know it's a sexually transmitted disease, so it, that's kind of how it um, started spreading among people and started going through this rather kind of remote area to all over the world. We won't bother going into the details of exactly what countries were infected first, but we are going to talk about Haiti. Groups of professionals who were working in colonial DCR returned to Haiti in the 60s and brought the virus back with them. The subtype that they brought back has become the most geographically spread of all of the types. And by 2014, it had spread to over 75 million people. This led to Haitians being blamed for HIV and resulted in huge amounts of stigma and racism directed toward Haitians. People in the West didn't really become aware of the condition till the 80s. In 1981, a few cases of rare diseases were being reported among gay men in New York and California such as Kaposi's sarcoma, a rare cancer, and a lung infection called PCP. No one knew why these cancers and opportunistic infections were spreading, but they concluded that there must have been an infectious disease causing them. At first, the disease was called GRID, a gay-related immunodeficiency. This, unsurprisingly, also led to a huge rise in stigma. As predominantly found among gay men, many prejudiced healthcare professionals refused to treat it and not, um, not much funding was given to research. Some believed it was God's punishment for homosexuality, which sounds just awful now. Very little was known about the disease at the time. Um, they knew it was infectious and deadly, but didn't know how it was transmitted, which led to a huge fear amongst those treating sick people. They were scared of transmission through physical contact, or they were worried that it was airborne. It wasn't until mid-1982 that scientists realised the disease was also spreading among other populations, such as haemophiliacs, um, that's a disease which causes inability for blood to clot. Um, at the time, the main treatment was blood transfusion, so HIV spread that way. Um, and heroin users. By September that year, the disease was finally named AIDS. 
Before long, people began to talk colloquially of a 4-H club at risk of AIDS. Um, homosexuals, haemophiliacs, heroin addicts and Haitians contributing to further stigmatisation. So we're now going to give you guys a very rough timeline of events in 1983. So in January 1983, first signs that it could be transmitted through heterosexual sex appeared. And in May, doctors at the Pasteur Institute in France reported the discovery of a new retrovirus called lymphadenopathy-associated virus, or LIV, which is much easier to pronounce, could be the cause of AIDS. In June, the first report of AIDS in children hinted that it could be passed via casual contact, but that was later ruled out because it was concluded that it probably was just directly acquired AIDS from their mothers before, during, or shortly after birth. By September, the CDC identified all major routes of transmission and ruled out transmission by casual contact, food, water, air or surfaces. The CDC also published the first set of recommended precautions for healthcare workers and allied health professionals to prevent eighth transmission. In November, the World Health Organization, also known as WHO, held its first meeting to assess the global aid situation and it actually began international surveillance. And by the end of the year, the number of eight cases in the US had risen to 3,064. And of this number, 1,292 had died. Despite updated evidence as to who was affected and how HIV was transmitted, it was still fatal. And the levels of fear, especially among the gay community, were incredibly high. Um, and the stigmatization, the stigmatization and the fear of people living with HIV and AIDS was, you know, incredibly high. It didn't go away despite kind of updated evidence that it wasn't just gay men who could get it and it, it could be passed on heterosexual couples as well. However, um, that stigma is still not really gone to this day. So, what are the symptoms of AIDS? Well, that's a good question. So, HIV attacks a specific type of immune system cell in the body. And it's known as the CD4 helper cell, or some of you might have known if you do biology A-level, T-cell. When HIV destroys the cell, it becomes harder for the body to fight off other infections. And if it's left untreated, even a minor infection, such as a cold, can be much more severe. And... This is because the body has difficulty responding to new infections. HIV doesn't only attack CD4 cells. It also uses the cells to make more of the virus. HIV destroys CD4 cells by using their replication machinery to create new copies of the virus. This ultimately causes the CD4 cells to swell and burst. When the virus has destroyed a certain number of CD4 cells and the CD4 count drops below 200, a person will have progressed to AIDS. So let's look at these three stages in detail. Well, once a person contracts HIV, the acute infection takes place immediately. Symptoms of the acute infection may take place days to weeks after the virus has been contracted. During this time, the virus is multiplying rapidly in the body unchecked. This stage includes symptoms of fevers, headaches, rashes, swollen lymph nodes, fatigue, myalgias, although not all people experience flu-like symptoms. Additionally, as well as potentially causing symptoms, the acute stage is when people with HIV have the greatest chance of transmitting the virus to others. This is because HIV levels are very high at this time 
and the acute stage typically lasts between several weeks and months. The chronic HIV stage is known as the latent or asymptomatic stage. During this stage, a person usually won't have as many symptoms as they did during the acute phase. This is because the virus doesn't multiply as quickly. However, a person can still transmit HIV if the virus is left untreated and they can continue to have a detectable viral load. Without treatment, the chronic HIV stage can last for many years before advancing to AIDS. Advances in antiretroviral treatments have significantly improved the outlook for people living with HIV and we'll discuss this later um, in part two next week. So the final stage is AIDS. A person receives an AIDS diagnosis when they have a CD4 count of fewer than 200 cells per millimetre cubed. Uh, people living with AIDS are vulnerable to opportunistic infections and common infections that may include TB, uh, toxoplasmosis and pneumonia. Um, people with weakened immune systems are also more susceptible to certain types of cancer such as lymphoma and cervical cancer and the survival rate with, for people with AIDS varies depending on treatment and other kind of factors. So there are a few factors that affect HIV progression. For example, the ability to achieve viral suppression. So whether someone can take the antiretroviral medications and achieve viral suppression is the most important factor by far. It also depends on the age when the symptoms start because being older can result in a faster progression. Health before treatment is also important because if a person has other diseases such as tuberculosis or hepatitis C or other sexually transmitted diseases, it can affect their overall health. Another important factor is how soon a person was diagnosed after they contracted HIV. Because the longer between the diagnosis and treatment, the more time the disease has to progress and check. Practicing an unhealthy lifestyle, such as a poor diet and experiencing severe stress, can actually cause HIV to progress more quickly. And finally, but not least, genetic history has a greater impact as some people seem to progress more quickly throughout the disease given their genetic makeup. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll continue discussing other areas of HIV and AIDS in next week's episode. So make sure you stay tuned. Um, and thank you so much for listening so far. We've had over um, 300 listeners. So that's quite, that's insane. Um, it really, uh, it's a nice reward for all the hard work we put in. So we're glad you're enjoying it. Um, for now, we want you to discuss this scenario for um, the ethics question for this week. A patient diagnosed with HIV reveals to their GP they have not disclosed this information to their partner. Discuss the ethical issues involved. Um, leave your answers on our Instagram post at Make Me a Medic podcast and keep in mind the four pillars of medical ethics. We'll discuss the answer next week, so stay tuned. Um, thank you to everyone who asked, answered last week's question. Um, the best answer goes to Lee Taylor. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Make Me a Medic Podcast and share us with other expiring medics. Join us next week for another exciting episode.